This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your hosts, Chris Spear and Andrew Wilkinson. Each week, we'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. The following episode is one of our COVID Zoom sessions. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on Facebook and Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. This is episode 37 of the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. On this episode, we have Christian, the executive chef of Hooch and Banter Restaurant in Frederick, Maryland. Christian is the first restaurant chef we've had on our show. Obviously, we talk a lot about the impact of COVID-19 on the restaurant industry. We also touch on kitchen culture, continuous learning, and culinary inspiration. Thanks to this week's sponsors, Tyler Wright, Danny Spletter, Ron Krieger, Cafe Bueno, Little Fig Bake Shop, Maryland Bakes, and the Savory Spoon Catering Company. If you want to support the show, our Venmo name is C-H-E-F-W-O-R-E-S-T-O-S. If you enjoy the show, have ever received a job through one of our referrals, have been a guest, been given complimentary Chefs Without Restaurants swag, or simply want to help, it would be much appreciated. Feel free to let us know if you have any questions. Thanks so much, and have a great weekend. Welcome, everyone. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. This is Chris, and today I have Christian, the executive chef of Hooch and Banter Restaurant in Frederick, Maryland. Morning, Christian. What's going on, man? How are you? Good, good. Great to have you on the show. You've been our number one requested guest to have. (laughs) I think that's hilarious, but I've been on for a while. I'm glad that we could work it out in these weird times. Yeah. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got into cooking and what you've been doing? Uh, well, I've been at Hooch for, I guess, almost four years now. I've been the executive chef there for B3 in May. Um, it's a weird anniversary since we're not working right now. But, uh, um, you know, I went to culinary school around here. I've been out for about 10 years, worked my way up from restaurants in Frederick. I went to school in Columbia. I actually heard one of your other podcasts where um i can't remember who it was but he actually went to the same culinary school that i did he did not have the same enthusiasm about culinary school as i do he did not like it um said it was a waste of money but i went to lincoln tech in uh in columbia and i don't know man i've just been slanging food ever since i worked my way to this job my original dream was actually to have a food truck several ideas for that and somehow i ended up in in fine dining and i actually couldn't be happier course until the government shut us down yeah yeah i had a dream of having a food truck too you know it's so weird because in frederick we've only had them what like three years now yeah it hasn't been that long i moved here from you know outside of philadelphia where food trucks were like a normal thing and i thought oh yeah i'm gonna come to frederick this seems like such a cool place to have a food truck and it's like oh no they're not legal like what it's 2007 they're not legal here it was so weird to me <laughs> yeah they were really behind behind the times on that and honestly all the breweries opening up and everything is really what i think kind of opened up the ability to have food trucks in in frederick definitely i mean i don't think it's responsible to have people day drinking or whatever drinking all the time and not have any food options well, that's very true plus i mean it's just it's just good business you know what i mean they're all over the country now so so did you have experience in fine dining? Did you work any really uh, upscale places? So I pretty much 
I mean, my first job in the kitchen, I was 17 years old and it was at a Waffle House. I was, you know, cooking eggs from the seven to three shift. And, uh, you know, I really fell in love with it then. But, you know, I bounced around after high school. I did construction and I worked in a restaurant. I've worked front of house and back house and all that stuff. And I found myself actually delivering textiles for like five years uh, for Cintas. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah. And uh, I was in a lot of kitchens and I just missed it. And I actually hurt myself and realized that I didn't really have a career path or a craft if I was going to be, you know, driving a truck every day. You know what I mean? So I, because like 26, 27, I enrolled in FCC's uh, culinary program um, to try to get back into it. And I, I just didn't like the, uh, the way that they ran it. I didn't like the teacher and, and all that. So then I got out and I went to Lincoln. But then I just popped myself into restaurants. I decided if I was going to do it, I was going to dive in head first and go in and my family thought I was crazy. I was making $9 an hour all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Like making salads and garmage and <laughs> just kept moving up from there. So you went to culinary school a lot later than most people. I mean, I think one of the things we hear is don't go to culinary school, but I think a lot of that comes from if you're 18 years old, you don't really know what you want to do for sure. Like maybe don't go and also don't go to one of the big schools where you're going to pay one to $200,000. But it sounds like you had a, better idea that you were looking to get into and stay in this industry. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, and also there's also two schools of thought, whereas there are plenty of chefs that have just worked in restaurants since they were teenagers and they're great chefs. You know what I mean? They learn from other people and then they, they go and read. That's the biggest thing. You know what I mean? You still have to read every day. You still have to try to expand your craft. And there are some people that are just naturally talented like that. Um, I think I learned just as much after culinary school in restaurants, working my way up on a line uh, than I did when I was in school. Like in school, you get a, a basis and a knowledge, but when you get into the restaurant, then you start getting your muscle memory down and your touch and your feel and your all your senses start to come into play. And you learn from watching other people that have done it for a long time. Yeah, and with any industry, you get out what you put into it. You know, you had already said you got to read every day. I'm a firm believer in that, you know, whether you go to school or not, whether you're working at a amazing place or not, Staying on top of learning and growing your craft, I think, is incredibly important. So you're the third chef at Hooch and Banter since they've opened. Um, yeah. Do, do you feel like there's been an evolution of the cuisine there, or is it pretty much the same? Like, oh, how have you seen the food sure. change? Um, I think that all the chefs that have been there have been really good chefs. I think I was more ready for this particular area, just because I've, I've grown up in Frederick. I've been in Frederick since I was 15 years old. I know what people eat, you know. So, but there's definitely been an evolution. The guy before me, Rory, was absolutely incredible, man. He actually started a food truck, but he did a little bit more Southern cuisine. I think that mine's a little bit more American, a heavier, uh, heavier accent on seafood. And, uh, you know, we all try to source as local as possible and, and do those kinds of things. So I definitely, when I first took over, I had some ideas that I've been mulling around for a couple of years, but I did have to gain my confidence. It took me a good six to eight months before I really felt like my food was like up there where it should be. You know what I mean? And then it's just the constant struggle of reading and pushing forward and listening to other people's ideas when you have other people around you that have good ideas and, and going from there, you know? And Frederick's a, a place where I feel like you can't get too fancy. And in my opinion, it's kind of like, you have to have this highbrow, lowbrow kind of combo yeah, there. Yep. I mean, you obviously have a restaurant like Volt, but 
you know, I don't know how many people locally are the ones going there. I think it's bringing a lot of people from out of town. But if you want to be one of those yeah. kind of Frederick local everyday think, restaurants, yeah. you have to find that group. I think we're lucky, and I, I see it a lot um, of people coming in, is that people are just trying to get out of the city now and around D.C., and they're coming to Frederick just because, you know, Frederick has a lot of attractions. They've done a lot of work around, so we're getting a lot of influx there. A lot of people tell us, you know, that we remind them of restaurants down there. I made a conscious decision, though, going back to what you said, to give a little bit larger portions. If you look at my portions, they're, they're always a little bit larger. I take a hit by a couple percent on food costs for that. But like you said, in my opinion, we're in Frederick, so I'm doing, you know, French techniques um, on American food. But I'm going to give you a little bit more on your plate because we're in Frederick, Maryland. And I think people, if they're paying $35 for an entree, they want to be full and have a little bit to take home, too. You know what I mean? Do you have any favorite menu items? <laughs> I feel like I can't even remember my menu items right now. <laughs> it's been um, so long. Oh, uh, it has. And you know what's so funny, too, is I was just getting ready to, like, I was phasing winter stuff out and about to come into springtime. Like, we got ramps right now and morels and all this peas, all these beautiful spring stuff that we're just totally missing out on. Like, it, it's, it drives me insane. Um, I think spring is actually one of my favorite times of year for food. I know. I said the only thing I don't miss is shelling a ton of fava beans. That job yeah. sucks. <laughs> well, that's the that's the beauty of getting to be an exec. You don't have to necessarily uh, do the fava beans anymore. You get somebody else to do them for you. Yeah. And peel asparagus. Those are two two very uh, tedious things to do. I didn't even really write a spring menu. You know, for my business, I try to have like essentially four seasonal menus, and I could always pull from last year's. But I was looking at updating it. And once it looked like we weren't even, I wasn't even going to be working this spring. I'm like, I'm just going to jump right into summer menus. Like start thinking about what's my summer menu look like and not even waste any time on any new spring dishes. Well, yeah, exactly. That's kind of where my focus has been over the last few days when I've been thinking about like, say we can come back in May, even if we decide, if we can only do takeout for a little while, um, you got to start looking at things that are going into summer. You know what I mean? That's exactly it. Because the springtime stuff is it's such a short window. You know what I mean? That, you know, it's about time to roll into the new stuff. And it's also hard to even get product right now, even if you're at home. So there's not a lot of R&D. You know, I, I'm looking at all these cookbooks and thinking, man, I want to make that. I want to make that. And then you have to kind of justify a trip to the grocery store. Like, okay, exactly. well, is it worth going out to Wegmans or Common Market to get morels or something like that to try this new I, dish? Yeah. I don't even have that around me. I'm out here in Waynesboro. And there's a Walmart and a Martins, but I mean, they really, they just don't have much of a selection. I couldn't even find yeast until I think two days ago, I got my hands on some yeast. And so I'm going to start making some breads and stuff like that. But I couldn't even do that kind of stuff because I just couldn't even find it. It took me forever to find flour because Walmart here was just wiped out of like anything like that. I only have it because a friend in town who's a chef brought me some yeast. Um, she brought me some yeast and some flour. So I got about... 20 pounds of flour, actually, uh, but my yeast is running low, so I might have to start making sourdough starter. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of uh, the one that is one nice thing during this whole, you know, quarantine thing is you're seeing a lot of people go back to recipes that, you know, their grandparents had for banana bread and, and stuff like that. And people are just people are at home cooking for their families again, which is it's nice to see. I definitely I'm, I'm guilty of, you know, having my girls and going and getting fast food or, or something like that real quick to bring home. And lately during this, I've been cooking for them, you know, just about every night. So. Yeah. I see it more as enjoyment again. You know, when I was working, not that it wasn't enjoyable, but you know, when you have a day off, it's kind of like, I don't necessarily want to be cooking at home. Like I've been cooking all week. 
you know, like last night I made some Filipino chicken adobo. It's like, yeah, you know, I got nothing else to do. I might as well make this and grab a beer and stand out. And I did it all on the grill last night and that was fun. And tonight I'm ready to cook dinner again. So kind of having fun with it as long as I have the ingredients for it. Yeah, I was kind of hoping to see Andrew on here. I was going to make some pizza dough later. I'm going to make some pizza for my kids tonight, I think. Trying to get Andrew back on the show. He and I, our schedules have been running kind of opposites. So, Well, he's um, still running, you know, so. He's still running. And I I actually am going to have him as a guest on the show because we were talking the other day. I went out to the truck. You know, his business has changed significantly. And he's made some changes that I think are going to continue even when this is over. I think this pushed a lot of people to examine their business models and what was working and what wasn't. And I think some good things came out of this for him business-wise, like how he was operating. So we talked about getting him on the show to kind of talk about this. You know, everyone's had to kind of pivot a little bit, especially if they were going to stay open and really evaluate how they were running their business. Yeah. I mean, pizza, that's a, that's a good one. You know what I mean? A lot of those things and and food trucks right now, you know, the usually they were getting the disadvantage for the longest time. And now, you know, they're, they're killing it. You know, they're the ones keeping people fed right now. If you look at the restaurants, they've all kind of slowly dropped off. I think lazy fish is still open. Um, and tsunami just opened up, which is incredible that they were able to just open up in the middle of all this. Um, I know. I went, I went and got lazy fish takeout the other night and Pong was in there and I asked him how it was going. And he said he had done like 230 bowls of ramen the day before or something, which is amazing for a takeout. I mean, yeah. I mean, people were waiting for that place. I've been waiting for that place to open. It's almost worth me driving into town just to get some. Yeah. Talk about a tough uh, hand dealt there having yeah. just gotten approved to open your restaurant and you can't even open it the way that you want to you got to start doing the takeout thing though, because now you're paying rent on this restaurant in downtown market. Well, exactly. Street. Yeah. And that I'm sure that's not cheap. That's where viniculture used to be, but I mean, yeah, good for them. I, like I said before, when we were talking earlier, I, I don't know when they're going to be able to let us sit down in restaurants again, you know, and if they, and when they do, what's the, what's the, how many people are we going to be? We have a tiny building. You've seen the restaurant, you know what I mean? How many people are we going to be able to sit there? So that we might have to remodel what we're doing, which would be unfortunate. We have we'd have a whole separate kitchen upstairs that essentially wouldn't be used. You know what I mean? So it's scary. But are you guys staying in contact, talking about plans? Like, are you? Yeah, we are. And our our last plan was actually before. I guess Hogan had announced that schools were going to be closed until April thirtieth. Um, and I think he's extended it uh, since then. But he had originally said April thirtieth. So we had talked about that being a time where we were going to look at reopening. So at this point, we just have to figure out like, are we going to decide to end up reopening for takeout until they let us see people in the restaurant or how do we want to ride this out? You know what I mean? It's all you can do. Yeah. I mean, there's only so much of your menu you can modify to takeout. I mean, some restaurants are set up better for it. You obviously have delicious, amazing food, but I think a lot of your food, the plating is important. You know, the way it looks. And throwing it in a to-go container doesn't make sense. The cocktails that Jeff does, like all those things, like it's an experience, you know what I mean? So, but we could, I mean, we could, we could throw our our sandwich menu on there, essentially like our lunch menu on there and go with that and do all those things. Um, And then, I mean, it would help, you know, it's revenue, Um, but it's, it's not the same as what we were doing. So that's more of a question is how do we get back to where, where we were or do we as an industry even get back there anytime soon? Like, Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. It's something I think about all the time. Like, I have no idea what my business is going to look like when this is over. Are people, you know, my whole thing has been 
stay home. It's super convenient to stay home and eat dinner there. Let me come to you. And I'm sure people are going to be like, nah, man, I've been in my house for two months. I don't want to stay home. And eat. <laughs> like, am I going to be out of business? Cause everyone's going to want to go out, you know? So yeah, I'm really true. thinking about like what the marketing looks like for a chef who does a in-home experience. Yeah, I, I, I do. I've heard a lot of naysayers saying that they think that we we aren't going to be the same and, and, you know, not us in particular, but just the industry isn't going to be the same. And I think that it may not be the same. The new normal may be a new normal, but I don't think it's going to stay that way. I think that we will end up back to where we were because people enjoy going to restaurants. People enjoy going to bars. People enjoy going out and being social. We just have to make sure we figure this thing out and, uh, and be able to get back there. And that's, it might take some time, but I think that eventually we'll get back there. But there are going to be a lot of people that fall to the wayside. Um, and we have to make sure that we make a plan so that we don't, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I'm not a germaphobe at all. And something I've done a number of times is I'll go to a restaurant and sit by myself at the bar. And I've literally shared food with strangers, you know, sitting yeah. next to me. You're like, someone will say, oh, you know, would you like to try this? I'm like, sure. And I'd grab a fork and eat off of some stranger's <laughs> plate. And now you won't even shake hands with people yeah, you know. People may never shake hands again, which is yeah, crazy. so like, weird. So I think the days of sharing food with people I don't know are over. I guess perhaps. I, I cannot see a scenario where you're in a kitchen developing food and you have all your cooks around you and you don't share a plate. You know what I mean? I guess you know those people. But I mean, I, I, I don't see a situation where people aren't doing that. That's part of the communal bond of, of cooking and creating, you know? Oh yeah. Pre-meal. Like I miss pre-meals every night where you put up yeah. plates and just throw them down. And like the wait staff are just in there fighting over every fork full of food. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. That's probably going to look a little different as well. What's your, do, do you have a favorite place that you're going to right now that does take out? Is there anywhere you're going to, or do you not have as many places up I where mean, you are? Yeah. Out here by me, man, it's, you know, it's rural Pennsylvania. So it's, you know, like it's pizza and sub shops essentially like all over the place. So there is a, there's a, there's a pizza place behind me that it's called brother's pizza and they make great wings. So I've been, I get wings from there. I'm guilty of that probably at least twice a week at this point. Um, but I mean, when this all went down, I stocked up twice. I stocked up my freezer and, you know, I've gone to the store a couple of times to get, whatever produce I can find for the most part, I've just been cooking for my kids at home. So it means a lot of Mac and cheese. Um, but I mean, like I've been, I've just been, I've been cooking at home for the most part. I'm not as familiar with the restaurants around here. If I were in downtown Frederick, I would have been ordering from everybody all the time. We've gotten even fatter than I've gotten now. <laughs> yeah. It's a little hike for you, I guess. Yeah. I'm trying to do my part to stay, you know, stay home. Like I said, I've gone to the store a few times. Um, I've had to experience bootlegging for the first time in my life where I have to go into Maryland to buy booze because uh, there's no uh, liquor sales out here in PA since the 16th. So what? There's no liquor sales at all. So they're like the they're like the South where all of the uh, liquor stores are state run. And so on the 16th or the 17th, I can't remember. I think it was the 17th because it was St. Patty's Day. But they actually, since they're state run, they shut down all of their liquor stores. So you can go to like a gas station and you get like a six pack of beer or, you know, some wine, but, you know, but it's crappy gas station wine, but you can't go get whiskey anywhere or anything like that. So at least they changed it and you could buy a six pack. Like I used to live in Pennsylvania 
it's been like 12 years and back yeah, then all you could buy was bar. a case you know that that was crazy yeah. stuff i'm like i just want a single or a six pack i'm like no nah, you gotta buy a case i'm like i don't want yeah, a case i don't want a 30 pack of bush <laughs> i like variety i don't ever want a case of anything even if i'm having yeah. a party i'm doing mixes wow i forgot about that and i think the interesting thing is going to be the whole cocktails to go like they've kind of open this thing up. Are you going to be able to go back to that? Cause right now restaurants are just it's yeah. like the wild west. They're making cocktails, putting them in court containers, delivering I, them yeah, to your house. Like I think how do you awesome. stop that like, going forward? Yeah. You know, well, that, that, that's very true. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Didn't, didn't he have to lift some kind of the governor lifted some kind of, uh, I don't, I don't know how he did that. He had to pass something special, I believe for them to be able to do that. They so did. I guess he could just rescind that once things go back to normal. I'm not, I'm not sure, but yeah. then people are going to be used to it. I mean, I think it's a great idea. I think, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I think you guys should just open up and have Jeff making cocktails. You don't even need to have food. Just have Jeff go in and start <laughs> well, making have, quarts of cocktails. and serve some kind of food in order to do that. Actually, I guess maybe 10th Ward is probably doing it, so maybe you don't have to serve food. Yeah, I guess that also comes down to what kind of establishment you are, because you all have different regulations, restaurants versus bars and tasting rooms. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, we have to be serving food technically in order to be open at the bar for the most part. Um, but we generally... We sh- that's why we shut our bar down usually when the kitchen the kitchen shuts down on the weekend at 10 o'clock and the, the bar is usually shut down by 11, 1130. You know, our upstairs might be open later because that's more of a late night crowd. But um, and our kitchen stays open a little bit later there, too. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, what else do you want to talk to? Anything you want to get off your chest? Talk about in the food world? Anything <laughs> our listeners should know about you or the restaurant? I think that you should check out Hooch and Banter on Instagram. Um, and as soon as we open, even if it's just for takeout, I think you guys come and support us, help us stay open. You know, I'm hoping to have some good old parties when this thing gets back yeah. to normal for sure. Well, for sure. I, yeah, I can't wait to do another wine dinner to be honest with you. Oh, the, the wine dinners. I haven't been out to one, but the food always looks great. I think they're probably always on nights I'm working or something. Yeah, we generally, we do them on Wednesday nights, except for the last one we did on new year's just because it was new year's, but, um, they're fun, man. They're, they're a lot of fun because you get to think outside of the box and do stuff that you normally wouldn't do. You know what I mean? And you've got a, a group of people that are uh, coming just to try what, whatever you want to. They trust you. You know what I mean? So they trust your coursing and, and your creating and all that. So you get to just really play. And, and it's a lot. Of, they're a lot of fun. On those nights, do you have any other menu or is it just the wine dinner menu? Yeah. So since we have the upstairs open, what we do is we, we sell the wine dinner out at 36 seats and we do family style so we'll set up two tables of uh 18 people and then um i'll pretty much prep everything i need to downstairs or whatever and i'll just fire it all in our upstairs kitchen and i'll take two guys with me and so then downstairs my sue will run the show downstairs and we just run a regular menu regular dinner service that sounds awesome you guys have won so many awards for you know best of frederick for everything it seems like you there's been a couple of years you guys have pretty much swept all the categories it seems yeah we've i mean we've been in there and it's been nice but what's funny is i always tease jeff because jeff they love jeff so much more he always wins like actually like first place and best cocktail and stuff like that and the food sometimes you know uh it's a double-edged sword like when i first took over i, I was lucky that i had jeff making the cocktail so that people would come in and eat my food you know what i mean but now we're, we're you know we're on the same level but they definitely you know Frederick loves Jeff's cocktails. They like my food a little bit less. <laughs> <laughs> they do. But it's so great because I'm not from here and I moved here in 2007 and 
I was into cocktails and there was like no places to get cocktails. Oh, dude, watching him is incredible. Like we call him a bar chef, man. Cause you watch him, you watch him make the drinks, everything. It's a muscle memory, the thought that he puts into them, all the layering of the flavors. But then when you watch him make them too, it's like watching a, an amazing line cook is just like fluidly moving around his line. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's definitely, he's the best. He's the best I've worked with. He's incredible. Well, I feel honored that uh, he made a cocktail of mine and put it on your menu there. And I even had my name on it. In fact, I think yeah, the yeah. first, I think the first time I actually met you was the day I was sitting there trying the cocktail that he had made for me. Yeah, that is. Um, I remember that actually. But that was a really cool experience, you know, to, to enter the Frederick best cocktail competition and have Jeff make the drinks and to say, you know, in his opinion that it was the best cocktail um, was quite awesome. No, it is cool. And Jeff is, Jeff is amazing, man. He actually, uh, he lives down the street from me. We both live out here in Waynesboro, but we've been socially distancing. So you guys got that commuter route going. Yeah, I mean, my yeah, my, my 15-year-old daughter goes to high school out here, which is the main reason that I moved out here. It makes things a lot easier when I'm off, but it definitely is a terrible ride home at, at midnight when you've been at work for 14 hours, you know? Mm-hmm. So do you miss the 14-hour days? I actually do now. The first week or so, man, my body felt better, you know what I mean? Like, I, legs felt good, like, felt young again. But, I mean, now, yeah. Like, because, I mean, I sit here and look at the same four walls all day long, you know what I mean? Like, the silver lining has been great because I've spent a lot more time with my kids that I would normally not get because I've worked so much. You know what I mean? So there's been a lot of one-on-one time with them. So that's the silver lining. But other than that, yeah, it drives me crazy being here all the time. There's a reason that I chose a job and love a job that I work 12 to 16 hours a day. You know what I mean? I wonder how many of us are going to have trouble getting back into that grueling physical yeah. schedule, you know, like that taking first, a couple that months first off. Job is suck. Yep. <laughs> You're gonna you're gonna lose something. You're gonna need some spring training for sure before you go back. Yeah, for sure. Some stretching. Well, I'm gonna jump into the uh, speed round on the fly here and ask you some somewhat rapid fire questions. We always say one or two word answers, although some of these can go long, and I'm not feeling like we're pressed for time and have to bang through these. So, um, what are some of your favorite culinary resources? You know, where would you recommend people if they're looking to get into cooking? Uh, websites, cookbooks, anything of that nature? Oh, man. Um, I mean, two cookbooks that I take with me in every kitchen that I go into are uh, La Russe, uh, Gastronomique, and uh, Escoffier's uh, original. But, I mean, for the most part, honestly, I think um, I think Instagram's a good tool. I think Google's a good tool. YouTube can be a good tool at times. It all depends on what you're trying to do, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's all about reading. And it's the one beautiful thing is you can pick up a book, you know what I mean? I've got several cookbooks, some that I haven't even opened because I'll just go to Goodwill sometimes and just buy books out of the cooking section, you know what I mean, or the book section. Um, so you can open up a book and start reading and you'll have an idea spark there. Or if you have an idea in your mind and you just go to Google and then you just end up reading and reading and reading and reading and reading, and you know what I mean? Those are the those are the best things. So Yeah, last week I made a kimchi focaccia and it started because a I chef... Saw that a chef had posted on Instagram a photo of a kimchi bread that he made. I think and that we follow that same guy because I saw that and then I saw yours and I was like, did I see Chris's or did I see two it's, people? Do it's Brad at Ellie in DC. He's one of my yeah, favorite yeah, yeah. chefs and it's one of my favorite restaurants, but I had never heard of that. So then I had asked him a question about it and then I went right to Google and I Googled kimchi bread to see if there was any recipe anywhere and like nobody had done it from what I had seen. But I did find a recipe for kimchi focaccia. So like to your point... I saw something on Instagram and then I Googled that thing 
<laughs> on the internet and then yeah. kind of looked at a recipe there and then just did my own hybrid. So I was like, okay, that's how they did it. And then I took what I liked, but I brought a lot of my own flair to it, changed the technique a little bit. Yeah, and I just exactly. kind of, the one thing kind of um, sparked the the beginning. And then I just wanted to read a little deeper to kind of figure out how I would do it. Yeah, that's and that's exactly it. That's what the beauty of it is. And that's what the beauty of cooking is, man. We're all like, we're all taking, it's like writing a song, man. There's the same chords and the same progressions. You just got to find a way to make those yours. You know what I mean? So we're all taking pieces out of the same song. Yeah, it's interesting that when you have something unique, if you do your version, it seems like a ripoff, but nobody cares about the old stuff. So like if I'm making a kimchi focaccia, it's easy to say like, oh, well, that chef inspired that or that chef did that. But if I made chicken parm, no one would care. You know, yeah. <laughs> I've always kind of wondered like, what is the time frame where something is like okay to rip off or be inspired by yeah, without people throwing shade? Yeah, For you know, sure. like... If I made a really interesting lasagna tomorrow, nobody's going to care because lasagna has been a thing for thousands of years. But, yeah. you know, if you're inspired by one of the signature uh, dishes from a restaurant, people kind of give you grief for it. It's just cooking. It is, man. It's just cooking. Just heat. Do you have any favorite chefs, either um, well-known or locally or both? So, I mean, locally, man, like Jeff Beard at Wine Kitchen is phenomenal I, I worked uh with him closely a long time ago and he's just you know he's he's an incredible chef um chef said you know i follow maybe more famously i guess uh chuck hughes because he's from montreal um he's definitely uh one of my favorites um rick bayless and uh roy Choi are two of my other favorites as well so um i mean i just follow a lot that's one beautiful thing about instagram and twitter is you can just go and just keep following people. You know what I mean? Just just all day long. And you learn about new people and new foods and, and, and things like that, you know? Yeah, Rick Bayless was one of those guys that I really found early on in my career. And I developed a love for Mexican cooking and just looking at the depths that he went to. You know, he you know, closes his restaurant and takes his whole staff down to Mexico to learn mm -hmm. about a new region. You know, I really loved reading through those through those books. And before cookbooks or coffee table books. Like, I don't think there's really any photos in his books. If you look at his books, they're like yeah. 350 page books with like five photos. And recipes and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one of the questions I've been asking recently is knowing that you were going to be quarantined for a couple of weeks, what are some items that you stocked up on or wish that you stocked up on? Like to you, wish, what does a well-stocked pantry look like? I wish that I would have gotten more red meat. Um, I also went because of, my hours uh before this was going on i went one night at, like after i got off work to walmart and they were wiped out in the protein section um and so was uh the next time that i went as well and that was in the afternoon and that was the martins so i've gotten probably got four or five whole chickens and i broke them down and put them in bags and put them in my freezer i was able to get some ground turkey some ground beef you know i got a uh a chuck roast, but that was the only red meat that I could find. I really wish that I would have been able to find like some good ribeyes or something like that. I, you know, I haven't been able to find any of that. I made sure that I had lots of pasta and rice and uh, I tried for flour and yeast. It took me for a while. I finally got that. But those are, you know, you need essential things. You just need to make sure that you have a starch of protein. And as long as you've got, you know, I've got chicken stock always in my, uh, um, freezer so you know as long as you've got some chicken stock too you can make a simple sauce and then you can, you can make yourself something as long as you have those things you know yeah i don't usually shop at giant but my mother-in-law does so we went shopping yesterday because we hadn't been in like two weeks 
And I was shocked. They had whole beef tenderloin there and it was on sale for $8.99 a pound. Oh, wow. That's and, cheaper than I get it at the restaurant. Right? And then they had uh, ribeyes, like uh, ribeye roasts. And I think that was maybe like nine ninety nine a pound. So, you know, you can wow. get like five good steaks out of them is the size yeah, they had them sure. cut into. I was like, wow, I've, I've never even seen that. I don't know if that's something special that they're doing at Giant right now, but I, you know, I might have to start buying tenderloin there. Yeah, for real. That's cheap. I'd buy them there instead of from where I I think go. it was eleven ninety nine a pound regular and eight ninety nine with the card. But I was like, well, yeah, eleven ninety nine sounds pretty close to what we pay. But that's cheap. That's, that's still cheap. I mean, it's thirteen ninety nine a pound. I think at uh, Costco because that's usually where I pick mine up. And, you know, they have a, a really higher grade uh, choice at Costco. You know, I've read a they lot do. about their, I've, like, I've quality I've used theirs before in a pinch when we've run out or we've sold more steaks than we expect or whatever. We definitely, we utilize Costco a lot. And I've used their ribeye in New York Strip before um, in a pinch as well. I just hate going there right now because you're waiting in line for, like, an hour well, now outside. I, yeah, and, I mean, yeah, I was going to say, they only let a certain amount of people in the building at a time now, don't they? Yeah. That was the thing about Giant. There was no one in the parking lot. We got in, there was maybe 15 people in the whole grocery store. So mm-hmm. I felt like very low uh, potential contact there and easy in, easy out. As much as I love places like Costco and Wegmans, like I don't want to go near either one of those right now. Yeah, I haven't been in at least a month anywhere except in a Walmart, the Martins here. That's crazy. Yeah. Got to get back to normal life sometime soon. Yeah, the new normal, right? The new, the new normal. Uh, so this is not a quick question, but we always ask our guests, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, man, that's a, that is a tough question. I know. And that could be personally or professionally or both. Honestly, I just want to be remembered for being a good guy. You know what I mean? Like food aside, everything aside, just being a, a fair guy. You know what I mean? Like fair guy and a good dad. So does that translate to how you run your kitchen, too? Uh, yeah, for sure. Like I definitely try to, I mean, we all have our, our moments, especially in high stress situations like we get into or something gets ruined that you've worked really hard on, you know what I mean? Or something like that. You all, we always have those moments, but I try to use them as teaching moments. I always try to be fair and I always apologize if I feel like I stepped out of line, which is what, you know, chefs that I worked for in the past, not like that at all. You know what I mean? Um, but I feel like in today's day and age you need to be more fair with people so they'll you know basically you get a you get a better crew that trusts you more if you're willing to be open and honest with them um including your mistakes so yeah i think for the better we're seeing quite a shift in kitchen culture and we talk a lot about that on the show with people and you know what we need to do to get it where it should be yeah for sure and i actually honestly i mean i'm 38 but i think that the younger generation of cooks coming up are actually helping to fuel that because, you know, they're not really used to the way that like, say you and I may have been treated or raised, you know what I mean? So, and because, you know, it's not okay. Um, you know, some people think it's, it's making, uh, the next generation soft, but I disagree. I think it, it's making them more, uh, open and, and willing to, uh, to more cerebral. They think about things and feelings and, and that's, that's important in today's world. Well, I equate it to parenting. I mean, you have kids. It's like our parents used to spank us, some parents used to hit their kids like pretty yeah, yeah. hard or use belts and stuff. You know, dads didn't hug their kids or say, I love you. Like, I think we've looked at all that and said, that probably isn't the way to raise a kid. Yeah, and we've totally. changed. So, so 
similarly, this whole notion of like, well, I had chefs swear at me and throw pots and stuff at me. So I'm going to continue to do that. Like, no, at some point we need to break that cycle. That's exactly it. Break the cycle. And I don't think it's hurting the restaurant industry at all. No, I, I, I wouldn't, th- I wouldn't think so at all. It's, you know, it's making it stronger. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'll send everyone your way. Uh, we do a lot of show notes, so I'll put links to the restaurant, your Instagram and everything on there and people will know where to find you. And then, you know, I'm telling people I'd love to touch base, you know, sometime in the next year, once we get back to normal and kind of talk to you about how things have changed. I want to do follow-up shows with everyone and see. Um, well, sure. I think that's an awesome idea. See how things worked out. So thank you to, our listeners, as always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on Facebook and Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants. Thanks so much and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.